This week's guest, Mark Hebwood, is the author of the brilliantly conceived debut book, Happiness Rules. If you're anything like me, you may have read maybe dozens of self-help books in this genre. However, I can pretty much promise you, you won't have read anything quite like this. Mark was born and raised in Germany before coming to London, where he has lived and worked in the financial services sector for around 20 years. In Mark's words, he has loved, lived and breathed in the city of London and has been fulfilled and is happy. As a result of his blissful existence, Mark began to think, how had it been possible for him to build his authentic life? And the result of that thought process is his book, Happiness Rules. Mark has combined his unique personal experiences with his deep analytical mindset to create a set of rules that if followed, will help you better understand who you are, what you need, and how to shape your world to ensure you too can be as fulfilled as Mark. Join me and Mark from this beautiful London apartment as we dive deep into the rules to create a happy life. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is your London Legacy. If you're a fan of the show and like to get involved and support us at Your London Legacy and help us keep producing amazing content just for you, you can get involved over on our Patreon page. We take every penny and we'll reinvest it back into the show. If you want to get involved and get hold of some really cool benefits or have us create your very own London Legacy episode or maybe meet up with us and other London Legacy lovers in London, you can do that too over at www.patreon.com forward slash Your London Legacy. Okay, let's get on with the show. Well, today brings me to Westfury Road on the banks of the River Thames, the glorious River Thames. <laughs> and I'm delighted to say I'm in the, the beautiful, stunning home and apartment overlooking the Thames of Mark Hebwood. So welcome to the show, Mark. I'm uh, happy to be here, Steve. Thank no, you very much for, having, for, a, for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And listeners will detect very quickly that you don't have what we would typically call a a London accent or a Londoner's accent. But what do you mean by that? <laughs> we were 10 seconds do, in do and you think, think I me. spotted that quickly. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. No, it is, I believe, a German accent. <laughs> you, you believe? <laughs> well, according to your parents, maybe, that's where you were born and brought up. That's, and we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute. But let's just touch on for a moment because we are in such an exquisite location here. And the joy for me doing this, this podcast is that I get the pleasure of going out to meet a fascinating interesting people londoners but also to go and see them in their place of work in their in their home in their natural environment where they feel comfortable so for example yesterday i was interviewing a fascinating lady called uh, jane palm gold who's a, a london historian with a special knowledge of a certain area of london called st giles all right um, beautiful. now yeah. st giles is a little known area when you when you think of london but yeah. we, we met in st giles in the in the vestry of st giles church oh right so that was going back to like, you know, the 1100s, if you like, when there was a monastery first yeah. there. And now we're sitting in the most <laughs> beautiful modern apartment with, I don't know, it's not quite 360 degree views, but just it's not, about. It's not quite, but if you stand in the right spot on the balcony, you've got a 270 degree view. Not that I measured this, but it's... Of course not, no. <laughs> but it's sort of that, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you probably have measured it, actually. What, what, what I've read from, from your book, which we'll come on to shortly, I know yeah, I, yeah. you've got clearly very we're, analytical we're and, detail, our audience and detail. Because I'm anal. Okay, fair enough. No, no, Let's no, continue. German, some, we got German. We got anal. There'll be some anal German <laughs> listeners, I'm sure. In fact, this this is listened to by some in, in Germany. I, I can tell you that. Okay. Um, cool. So just explain for the listeners yeah. who can't see visually where exactly yes. where we are on the river here. Yes, we are. We are on the River Thames, obviously. And uh, as, as you sort of look uh, mentally, uh, at the map of London, you see that, let, let, let's say we start with visually where we are, we start with Tower Bridge. 
And then if you cast your eyes east and follow the river, at some point you're going to get to a loop. Uh, and, and it loops south and it loops north again. Um, this is, of course, is pretty much everybody will we, we know the Isle of Dogs. And we are just at one of these loops, just as the River Thames starts looping south. Uh, that's where we are. And um, this is actually also, interestingly enough, where I lived all my, all my London life, which is almost like 25 years. I've lived in this spot in various, in various places. And, and, and right now, we are, we're in an apartment which uh, we bought sort of eight years ago, and we were lucky enough to find a spot which just looks into the bend westwards. So we're looking into the bend of the River Thames, and we have the stunning cityscape of the city of London, and by extension also we have, we can see the, the wheel, if you know where it is, yeah, sort of yeah. obscured by... By, by the shards but that's kind of where we are yeah it really is beautiful folks and uh, I, I will I do intend if the weather doesn't close in to, to step out onto the balcony before we disappear and take a few photographs which we'll put up on um, on the website or on the Instagram if the weather we, closes if, in I just shut the door and take a video <laughs> okay I just realized as I went out onto the balcony before the terrace I'm starting to get a little bit I think I don't know got a bit of All vertigo right. as I get older in life I just started to feel a little bit yeah. que queasy what, what floor are we on here 20 20 yeah so we are fairly high up if we, we are fairly high up I mean so, so some people say that mm. I mean in fact funny story when we built the apartment my, my girlfriend's sister came came to stay and she walked into the room and she was barely able to stand in the middle of the room let alone go out on the balcony. We we then had a bet, and and she passed. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah. So yeah, you're right. It's also. I mean, the apartment itself is uh, is a lot of glass here. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's not unbroken fenestration, if, if if that's a word. But it sort of feels as if it's sort of connected with the outside world, yes. which is one of the reasons why we have it, because that's what we wanted. And it's, it's, of course, it's a little bit connecting to the, to the theme of your podcast. It, it, to me, it always feels as if you are inside your home, but you're connected with London. And, and given that I love London, that, to me, delivers a real nice, yeah. warm it, benefit. It, I, can't, I can't tell you enough, folks, uh, how, how beautiful the views are from here. <laughs> to, to, so to the right, going around the bend. Um, into central London, you got the Shard and the the Wheel, and just it's it's just stunning. And going the other way, you got the City Airport, and it's just beautiful. And the Thames Clipper just down below. But yes, but oh, here well, it's comes. not a but. Here it's, it comes. It's, it, no, there's there's no but. You you got a German accent. You love <laughs> you love London. Nothing wrong with that. But uh, that that's great because we say say it time and time again. London and Londoners, there you can't. Put your finger on what a Londoner is now nowadays, yeah. because London mm. is such a wonderful melting pot of different yeah. cultures True. and ethnicities and different income groups and you know whatever. London is so diverse. Yeah, I agree. But you, you've got a fascinating story because you weren't born in London initially. You no. were born and brought up, as I understand, in Germany. That, that's so tell true. us a little bit about your upbringing and what brought you over here to London. Yeah, a simple one for openness. Good. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was born in Germany, and roughly I spent half my life in Germany and half my life. Whereabouts in Germany was that? <clears throat> here in London, uh, in the Ruhr Valley. It, it, it used to be uh, the, the sort of center of, of German industry. We're talking coal and steel. But that's possibly now 80, I don't know, 50 years ago. And since then, uh, the, 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 the steel industry has migrated 
elsewhere also left Germany and uh, it, it's more like a service uh, industry now but nevertheless that's where I'm from it's sort of one of the major conurbations in um, in Germany G Germany being a federal country you don't really have these sort of metropolis this this glittering me metropolis type cities like London or New York you you have smaller cities in in the federal states now the Ruhr Valley itself is sort of like a blend of many of them and so if you count all all the inhabitants there it's maybe like three million people live in the wider Ruhr Valley area so that's that's where I'm from then I went to school there did my A-levels also uh, went to university there that was uh, at uh, at Münster in in Westphalia did a humanities degree then didn't quite know what to do with it <laughs> and and decided to um to do a business postgrad which and that is the thing which which led me to to the UK which led me to London basically uh -huh. so we would call it humanities so english lit hmm. yes is that just because that was a passion of yours reading and literature and yeah, or yes, you, it or, was. Or you yeah. went for the the option that a lot of students do; they don't know what else to do with their lives. So let's, let's do <laughs> no, let's no. Go at, humanities. At, at that point, I I sort of didn't know what I wanted to do. I I just didn't know what to do once I finished right. the degree. No, but that's uh, let me not be too flippant. I mean, when A levels in in Germany or my A levels, I can't. I can only ever speak about myself. Of course, I can't talk talk, talk for other people. So in 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 my case. I make a, in my case, I found it fascinating. A world of learning opened up. I, I, I read, or was forced to read by my teachers, philosophy, and then there was mathematics and physics and all sorts of things. And I found most of it quite fascinating. The thing which I found perhaps more fascinating than, than other things was just tended to be English literature at the time. And so I went in to study uh, in English lit, um, modern history, and publishing as a as a master's degree. Mm. So we'll come on to your book in a bit, but you've almost come full circle, if you like, haven't you? Started off <laughs> with English lit and a lot of reading, and then you went the some more analytical, yeah. the numer numerical route. Yes, yeah, um, that's right. And then came back to you know writing your own books. Well, I think that's right, <clears throat> Steve. It is coming full circle because I after after twenty years as a as a stockbroker on on London dealing floors. I have now just left the city about a month ago and I am now hoping to establish myself as a as a writer. Mm -hmm. my, my book, the book we are hopefully going to talk about yeah. a little bit in, in, in a second, is not, um, is not fiction. That, that, that's non-fiction, but hopefully my next adventure is going to see me writing novels. So if that ever happens, then you're absolutely right. Then it's full circle. Well, I'm pretty sure you will almost certainly do what you said you're going to do, because if it fits in with your pattern and your analysis of your own needs and desires <laughs> and wants <laughs> and creating the life that you desire, then I'm pretty sure you're going to end up doing it. I hope so. So we can't go straight from university and, and no. you know, post-grad to, to where we are today. So just tell us, so you moved to London yeah. to work in, was that in the insurance sector first off? Or? Yes, I mean, I, I came to the UK... Actually, even during my undergraduate master's degree, uh -huh. I spent six months at Exeter University. So I had some look-in uh, in, in terms of a longer stay in the UK before. Well, then I went back and I graduated in Germany 
you know, did my postgrad uh, in, in business studies in this country. And after that, the life assurance company approached me and offered me to come on the actuarial program, mm -hmm. which is the third conversation stopper after German, <laughs> German accent. German and, accent, and, and now accountancy we're talking, or actuary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, this is worse than accountancy. This is basically being a financial mathematician. And... Um, but but you were talking about full circle, and, and I said that mathematics is something which always fascinated me at mm -hmm. school. And then I, I, I just basically jumped on the chance of looking at mathematics again. So anyway, I sort of did the mathematical exams. I finally passed them after blood, sweat, and tears. And then I discovered that I didn't really want to work in mainstream insurance, which is what a degree or professional qualification as an actuary would allow you to do and that is when I when I started so, sort of reinvented myself and I thought what I really like to do in life and it's going to sound a bit weird is is to analyze things and make sense of data or stuff which looks which looks like a big chaotic mess and then you analyze it and and and, and, and you get something that makes sense comes out of it and in my case, something which makes commercial sense comes out of it. Mm. So that's what I wanted to do, and that's how I decided to uh, find a job in the in the city of London, which is, of course, the um, financial district. So you've you say you just left that walk of life. Is that you've you've taken retirement? Yes, that, yeah. that's correct. I mean, basically, what I just said, reinventing myself, that basically was about 20, 20 uh -huh. years yeah. ago. And then what, what 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 followed was a well I think career is the word I'm not trying to suggest that I made a, my calling in the city there are lots of analysts who did a much better job than I but I I love doing it I love doing what I what I was doing for 20 years um, and just a month ago as you just said Steve I um, decided to jack it in and I left my I want to actually say my intellectual home of twenty years to set up my next my next thing. Mm. So how do you feel having done that? Great. Yeah, it's about now six weeks ago, and there was a period of adjustment for about which lasted for about two weeks when you run around and you have admin things to sort out and things like my health insurance is gone. I need to replace it, or do I need to replace it? This kind of stuff. And after that, I'm suddenly moving into a period where I feel really quite calm. I mean, I'm, in a, I'm in a good spot in my life at the moment, it feels to me. I have time to do things which I didn't have time to do and which increasingly I wanted to do. Uh, I can read books, I can think, I can do my sports, I can travel a bit. And I'm, and I'm sure that's going to be a period for a few years now and then that will hopefully blend into my mm. next adventure, which is novel writing. Do you think there's a period of adjustment in, in having, when you've worked in the corporate world for as long as, you know, 20-odd years as you have for this particular, was it for the same company for 20 years? No, no, no but, different different yeah. city firms. But, but do you feel your security blanket, if you like, has been been removed from you? And I don't mean financially necessarily, I what you mean. but just all the... The things that get the accoutrements, if you like, you know, yeah. the pension and yeah, the yeah, health yeah. insurance and the day, you know, walking into the job and getting the train yeah. and all that. All of a sudden, that's all gone. Is there a period of adjustment and sort of wondering who you are in, in the world? <laughs> Interesting. I would have expected it to mm. be. I would have expected it to be an exit shock. And I'm totally surprised to find that there yeah. isn't any. 
So you're not completely institutionalised then? Well, apparently I wasn't. Um, I'm, I'm amazed to find it. I, actually, to, to be honest, I, I probably thought about um, leaving the city for a period of three years or so, maybe, maybe five years, I don't know. And, um, but, but, but I really thought this decision through because, because I knew once you leave the corporate world, and as you say, you leave behind all these various accoutrements and also the safety net, then you're basically out. Uh, and, and then you need to live with that decision and make it your own. And I'm probably psychologically a person who leaves a party five minutes after rather than five minutes before, which is the sort of advice you should leave five minutes before when it's still good. Well, I probably don't do that. And so I probably left the cities five minutes after uh, my peak. And right. so therefore I was, I was well and good and ready for it. And yeah. now I feel that um, there is very little there's very little in adjustment which I have to make. It's a strange feeling, isn't it? That last day, that last moment when you walk out that office and you, the door's shut behind you and you know you're, not, you're never going to go back. You're never going to be working for somebody else again. And yeah, it, it is very odd. You know what is even odder? You, you're absolutely right. I, I would have expected that. On my last day, I left my office building for the last time. I was halfway down the road to my tube stop going home when I thought... Well, actually, hang on. That was the last time I actually left my building. Should I not be more interested in this moment? Should I not kind of commemorate this with something? This is a momentous key uh -huh. thing. And and I just walked back and took a selfie. As you do. <laughs> and then I thought, well, uh, well, that's it really then, isn't it? I mean, so in other words, yes, you're right. It, it should have been much more of a moment. I had to actively remember that it should be a moment and make it a moment. Yeah. I think I was just, uh, I was just cooked, well, well ready for it. Yeah, because I find, I mean, even coming in today on the train, and your book is about happiness, called Happiness Rules. Yes, sir. Which, which is fantastic, and we will talk about that. I promise you shortly. But just, <laughs> but just coming in on the train today, and then DLR. Yeah. And yeah. looking at all the people coming into the city and working, and <laughs> looking at their their miserable faces, and someone asleep on the train first thing in the morning, sound asleep. I, I have this feeling of, of us and them, me and them, you know, people who are in this, if you like, bubble, if you like, of working in the corporate world and not being aware of what's stepping outside of it. And, and me on the outside sort of looking looking in and being very, in a very fortunate position of having quit, quit my job. Right, right. I don't know, I can't remember, 2004 and setting up my own little business and now doing the podcast and just being on the outside of that world and being able to choose, and with this, we've come up with this term a few times, choose yourself, choose, yourself. choose what you want to do with your life, which yeah. is very, very important. You're probably still too young and on your own just yet to realize. Oh, you're such a kind man. Them. <laughs> you know, guys, I pay, I pay him to make statements <laughs> like that. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting. I mean, Steve, that basically, that basically shows that the decision you made is the right decision I for so. you. Yeah. Because otherwise, you would probably look at the besuited people who you who you see and you get a pang of regret and you would think oh that was the time where was somebody in the world i had i had an office i had this that and the other but not thinking that is is the is the test i mean that basically shows you that it's right for you and and i can i can say the same thing i mean i actually my girlfriend says the same thing i mean she she says to me look you must be over the moon like looking all these 
or these people, and, and they all have to do the nine to five or whatever else they do. And I always think, well, actually, no, because like half a year ago, a year ago, I was one of these people and I loved it. I mean, maybe not a year ago, let's say five years ago. And I absolutely loved it. It, it gave me big word coming up. It gave me purpose. And, and purpose sounds like one of these massively, uh, you know, words which are loaded up with meaning. But it doesn't have to be. It's just purpose is anything which gives you a feeling that you're doing something which is worthwhile doing. And that is a feeling which I had for a very long time. So now I don't look at the sort of people who are still in a, in a corporate contract with envy, which means I've made the right decision. But I also don't really look at them with saying, oh, thank God I don't have to do that anymore because I know while I was doing it, most of the time, I felt good about it and it gave me, it gave me purpose. It's just what you do, the purpose, whatever gives you purpose changes. And the thing which you have to do, I would claim as a, as a person, is to keep track of that change and not fall behind if you allow yourself to get stuck in something which doesn't give you purpose anymore, for whichever reason, then that's probably when you get, in inverted commas, unhappy. That's yeah. something where... Yeah, it's interesting you say that. And I've, I've spoken about this before on the podcast a few times. My wife has been a, was a teacher, special needs teacher, yeah. uh, for 30-odd years. And she absolutely loved her work, loved it. The, the passion of helping kids integrate into mainstream education and access, you know, all the all proper teaching. And she she adored it. But over the last few years, it got harder and harder and harder for her to do the work that she was passionate about because of red tape and bureaucracy right. and business managers coming into school and all right. this sort of stuff. Yeah. And she became unhappy because her purpose was not being fulfilled, her purpose in life. So she took early retirement last year. And I've never seen a more passionate, more driven, because she is now she set up her own consultancy helping parents of kids with special needs. Perfect. Yellowsun.com. Go and check it out. <laughs> and she is she is you, you can't get her out she, from her her study, but she doesn't see it as work. She just loves it. That's great. Yeah. Th that's the key, isn't it? Mm. I mean, if you in at a stage in your life where what you do if it's let's say something which pays you money so normally people would identify that as being work but if that is something which you would do anyway even if you didn't get paid for it it's a little bit idealistic of putting it like that but then you know you're doing the right thing you're doing the right job perfect it's hard to find though and and i'm not even saying that everybody might find it but it's something which i would look for <laughs> so you've had this Interesting, diverse background, brought up in, in Germany, very well educated. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't know about that. I You've had a, a, a good and successful career in the financial institutions in London, and you live in a beautiful apartment, and now you've taken, I don't know if it's early retirement or retirement. I wouldn't be so, so bold as to presume it's early retirement. I don't know. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> you've written, you've now written this um, amazing book, fascinating oh, book, very Thank unique you. book in my opinion, called Happiness Rules, which Thank obviously you. has a there's like a double entendre in there as well, it, I suppose it does. as well. Yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, <laughs> which I'd like to to talk about now because it's your first attempt at writing a book, a, a serious book, I guess. That's, that's correct. I yeah. mean, it, it's not a short book. No, it's not a lightweight book. No. It's over four hundred pages. 
including acknowledgements and so on and so forth. Happiness rules. First of all, working full time as you were, where did you find the time to write such a a quasi? Well, it's not quasi; it's an academic book. On, oh, no, on it's not academic. It's uh, let, let's let's get back yeah. to it. I, I don't really want. No, it's it's not academic. It's not. There is one chapter in it which feels a little bit more academic. I think the one about ethics, but but it's not at all. When I, mean, I say academic, let, it's. There's a lot of books out there mm. on um, psychology, uh, yeah, yeah. pop psychology, you know, self-help books. Yeah. And I've probably read more, more than my fair share right, okay, because cool. I love that genre, yeah. if, if they're good quality books. Yeah. This is a very different style of book I because of your analytical so. background. Oh, I see what you mean. So yes, from that point of view, yes. I'm saying it's a, it's a serious, I get, serious book. I, I get it. I get it. I, absolutely. I, I think you would... Well, it certainly is meant to be a serious book. Mm. I certainly mean everything I say mm. in it. It is certainly analytical. It it will be because I wrote it. I you have an analytical, analytical mind. I yeah. can't change that. But I wanted it to be more of a sounding board for those who try to find another big words again, the authentic life, which just simply means a life which is right for you and where you can be yourself and where you don't live your life by the standards of others. Now, that's very hard to find. It's actually not something you find. It's something which you build. And, and we can talk about that in, mm. in, in a moment. But So that's, uh, uh, that's why I sort of shy away from the word academic because I always think like people in white coats who do, in this particular case, it would be like a sociological study, like why are the Danes happier? Now, I actually say this type of stuff is very interesting as a sociological study, but it will not deliver any benefit to you in a quest which you might have of developing the authentic life. Why? Well, because you're not a Dane, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, so, like I said, I'm not dissing these studies. It's all very interesting to understand, but it won't deliver a benefit to you. But just to answer your question, how did I find the time to actually yeah. write this? Well, this is almost like sort of going back to the um, the chat we had about if you do work which you really like to do, you don't see it as work. And this is the same thing. I really loved writing it. And so therefore, the fact that I wrote it after I got back home from uh, like, a, like a normal city day is probably like 12 hours or maybe it's a bit longer. But, but then I always... F not always, but often I found two or three hours time in the evenings to write. And I, I just thought the engagement with the subject was so interesting that I didn't feel it as mm. as work. And then, of course, I used my weekends. So you weren't the sort of guy to get writer's block. You just knew what you were going to... When you came back, your, your head was full of ideas, presumably. From yeah. the, did you do you have, did you have a structure in your mind from, <laughs> from the outset? Because it's a very well-structured book. Thank you. Know? you. Uh, perhaps a little bit. I mean, it, it all goes back to... To chat with a hat, which I had with my girlfriend, and I, one of her, I don't know, acquaintances, uh, had a particular issue. I don't know what it was, but I remember giving her some sort of advice, and I must have been quite animated in in the way I talked about it because she said, "You you should go to the study and write this down just exactly the way you talk about it now." And then that's kind of what I did. So I, from the outset, I had a certain structure in my mind. But the structure which you see in the book sort of half developed while I was writing it. What I had in my mind from the outset 
was that the most important ingredient, if you like, in developing a life which is right for you is to know who you are. So that is something which I had to explore as the first chapter in the book. And did I have a sort of outline? Yeah, I, I sort of, I, I remember, I remember sort of walking around dazed sometimes like, like, like a zombie during my, during my lunch breaks, thinking about the next chapter and how I wanted to structure it. And when I, when I got home after work, often I had like an idea in my head and I was sort of just writing down what, what, what was there. But sometimes uh, the ethics chapter, for example, that's probably the most difficult chapter in the book. I mean, I did, I do remember I was struggling with that one. It was just agony and it was beautiful agony because that's when you know you're onto something and, 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 and the, the thought process delivers new insights to you, which as an added bonus might deliver something to, to my readers as well. I'm interested to find out why you wanted to write the book in the first place, as mm. opposed to you know the, the the process. But was it because you you felt you had something to offer mm -hmm. in terms of yeah. under, your own understanding of that you were you know where you were in your life in terms yeah. of the happiness you'd achieved so far yeah. and that you wanted to give opportunity to other to understand the process? Yes, yes, I, I believe that's pretty much it. I mean, when uh, after whatever it might have been, ten years in the job as a stockbroker, I realized that I was really enjoying myself that that not much was missing in my life and 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 all of a sudden i i had this pang of insight and i thought actually i might have at least for the moment these things always change i'm not complacent but at least for the moment i might have cracked cracked it i i have developed the authentic life i have developed a life which is right for me a life where i don't have to play a role uh, where I don't have to act, where I, where I can be myself. And, and then I sort of, one, so the next bit was then to, I was asking myself, actually, how did I get here? Did this just like develop in an unguided fashion or did I do something in order to channel these things? How, in that moment of recognition that you were in a happy place, <laughs> yeah, because we understand what happiness means is different things for different people. Yes. How did you? How were you actually feeling? What was the feeling that you had of happiness to you? Was it a sense of liberation? A sense of you know, I, I don't feel constrained uh, in my life. What did it actually feel like? It felt like sitting back, breathing out, and saying, "Yeah, life is okay. Hmm. Life is good. There's not much missing." Okay. And 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 of course, this sentiment is a result of millions of little things which play into it. I had a job which I enjoyed, which delivered purpose, big word, to me. I was with the right person in my life. Well, still am, you know. Uh, I um, lived in a place I loved, by which I'm not referring to the, to, to, to the apartment, but London, absolutely vital ingredient to my, to my happiness. And all of that sort of blended into into this life where where I didn't have to live by the standards mm. of others. That, that's kind of what it. Yeah, means. no, that makes sense. We'll, we'll come on and go through some of the steps in the book in a, in a in a second. Just tell us why London is so important to you. Why you feel comfortable and at home at London? Because you say in the book you're a city boy. 
you can't stand yeah. the countryside. <laughs> now, I, 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 I love London, otherwise I wouldn't be sitting here to, doing yeah. this podcast. Yeah. But I simply love being in the country as well. Sure. Right? Now, you, you love London, but you can't stand the country. <laughs> <laughs> so well, first off, why do you love London so much? Why is it so special for you? And then, and then why do you detest the countryside? <laughs> oh, no, I don't detest the countryside. People are going to kill me for saying like, and, and it's not true. I mean, anyway, and I get, I, 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 I'm sorry, I'll get to that in a sec. I think, first of all, the wider context is urban environments versus mm. uh, country environments sure. and then specifically london versus other urban environments yes. so so i mean uh, yeah i mean at some point you you can't analyze any further i mean you've got to stop at some point and and, and i think to me i've always been more at ease in urban environments than in country environments and that's not just saying that i have it's not just saying that because I know this from experience. My grandparents used to run a, a working farm in the north of Germany, and ever so often my parents forced me to go there, uh, expressing the wish or expressing the view that I will enjoy this. Because parents always know best. <laughs> yeah, no. To, to be fair to my parents, I don't think my mum wanted to go very much either. She's right. more like an urban person right. as well. Uh, I'm saying this. There wasn't an expectation that you took over the running of the farm. Or something, no, <laughs> my my grandfather. Yeah, my, uh, my grandfather did think that. You yeah, would have liked that. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, he was wrong. Uh, <laughs> so, so I ever so often I went, was was off to my parents' farm, and I. Uh, this is talking a, <clears throat> like a, like a small boy, like five years old. And I just realized that it's not for me. I didn't naturally gel with the animals. I didn't naturally like to walk through meadows. What stood out for me was, ooh, this is wet. Ooh, this gives me hay fever. Ooh, the cows are dangerous-looking animals. While in the city, I was just myself. I was never in any danger. I was naturally would move through traffic even as a five-year-old boy that was just my habitat interesting but but going back london because that was your question so within that yeah this is getting a little bit difficult to explain because london is is is, is, is to me more is, is it's it's like a sentiment a feeling which i just don't have in other cities when i came here first when i was 16 years old on a on a holiday it London just impressed me with the way an 8 million or whatever it is a large metropolis can be almost like self-deprecating that didn't didn't take itself too seriously managed to be relaxed i know other people will will now say relaxed so this is completely ridiculous what do you like but it's a personal observation which may well not work for other people I thought it's just the urban flux of London. People walking around in a, in a seemingly chaotic way, mixing with traffic, London buses, cabbies, people around it. A beautiful chaos, which, I, which just invited me to be part of it. And that is, I think, perhaps the, the deeper insight here. I feel protected by the anonymity, which, which simply means that I can be myself i can choose the groups i would like to be part of the groups will not choose me mm, and that is something which i have not experienced in in small villages where the social nexus is more constrained and it is well possible that the groups choose you 
and that is something which my personality for my personality does just doesn't work yeah that's very interesting so let's let's dive into the book a bit so what's the, what's the main thesis underlying thesis of the book the main premise of it it's all about choosing yourself and understanding yourself first off yeah that that's the basic i mean yeah i mean it's um it goes back to the uh, question which you asked me earlier what did i want to achieve with it when i when i had this insight that my life was basically okay i i thought actually it might be interesting if i wrote down in the book how i got to that place because other people might benefit from it might is the operative word here because what i say in the book is that there is no one generic route to finding the authentic life the authentic life means different things to different people sure. and therefore the path towards it will be different for different people but there will be one or perhaps many i don't know but there will be one path to it which is right for you now to find that path is the task if if you want to develop it and um, so what i had in mind is that my 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 basic thesis is that you need to know who you are in order to that's the absolute basis you need to know who you are before you can even understand what method you need to employ in order to generate sure. the authentic life. And that probably is the hardest question anybody will ever ask themselves, yeah, let alone so. answer, in their in their lifetime. I believe so, if, yeah. If, if ever they, A, appreciate that it's a question they need to ask, and B, then take the time and effort, because it is, it's not an easy question, take no. the time and effort. It can take weeks and months and, and, and years in yes, a yeah. lifetime. Unfortunately, to yeah. get to that moment, and I some people so. may not even appreciate it until until they're on their deathbed. You know what what it's all been for. But, mm. You know what what is life? Why am I here? You know what is my purpose in this life? Yeah, in, indeed. I mean, I, I would. It's almost. Um, I mean, would almost say that it's a. It's almost like a dangerous question to ask. Mm. What is my purpose in this life? Because the question is too too hard. It's too big. Nobody can answer that. Or if you answer that, you can say, actually, my purpose in this life is to be happy in inverted commas. My purpose in this life is to develop a life in which I can be myself. Because that life will be right for me. If it is right for me, only then can I act in a way which might, by extension, benefit a wider group of people, my family, my friends, wider than that even society you, you, you see but but this is dangerous ground to walk on i'm not talking about utilitarian philosophical angle here i'm not writing the book in order to deliver a benefit to the wider group of society i'm writing the book to just create a sounding board which might be beneficial to some to develop the authentic life a life which is right for them and then everything else follows from that and in order to get there the first thing is you really do need to know who you are. And then sort of, again, I've realized this is sounding quite grand, but it doesn't have to be. It's, it's just little things like, like, where do you like to live? Are you an urban person? Are you a country person? If you discover that you are an urban person, don't allow anybody to suggest to you that the countryside is a better place to live. 
There is no such thing. It might be a better place to live if you're a country person, and then you have to live there, because that's the recipe for unhappiness. If you allow structures or frameworks to appear, to emerge in your life, which box you into something which isn't right for you. And unfortunately, we're boxed in, as you put it, or constrained from a very early age by the expectation of others, from what we learn at school, from our parents' expectations of us, from our peer group, what they expect from us. And all of a sudden, we're we're living to other people's norms and standards and what they think they want for themselves. That's right, exactly. So we're already on a on a murky path you know moving away constantly perhaps from our from what, who we really are yes and so it's and very yes, difficult to unravel the layers isn't it it is very un- it is comp- it is is awful i mean it's a gordian knot you you don't know where the thread starts even. Mm. you don't know where to start to unravel anything it, it's it's really difficult and that's why i keep coming back to this you need to develop as confident uh, an insight into the makeup of your own personality as possible Because only if you do will you develop the confidence that what you're discovering about yourself is actually valid. Because that's an important ingredient in this. Going back to the city versus countryside example. If I discover about myself that I'm a city dweller, now somebody else, my girlfriend or my boyfriend or whoever, might suggest to me that it's nicer to live in the countryside. I will listen to their arguments. And if I'm not confident that the city is right for me, on an intangible level, because my personality is like that, then I might be tempted to listen to them. I might be tempted to take their well-meaning advice against my conviction that, that I'm not a country dweller, allow myself to live in the countryside, and I would be unhappy. Worse than that, I wouldn't really know why I am happy. I am unhappy. I would just know that something is missing, but I'm not exactly sure why. And that's the that's the danger of it. So, yeah, self-knowledge has to be the key or is the key, has to be the start. <laughs> yeah, but it is it is a minefield. It's very difficult to develop the insights and develop the conviction that they are valid. Let's take a very quick break just to remind you, if you love the show and would like to get involved, grab some cool stuff, get shout-outs on the show, have us create your very own London Legacy show, or even meet up with us in London for a coffee or something stronger, just head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London Legacy. Okay, let's carry on with the show. So I think you talk about a couple of techniques in the book for identifying <laughs> yeah. who you are. Yeah. Just simple terms just can you sure. give us some of the uh, the headline ideas on that yeah i mean the the sort of method if you want to call it that which i found works for me and and, and therefore might work for others is that ever so often uh, i think we do this naturally by the way ever so often we think back to something which has happened uh, a situation where i was yelled at by my boss or whatever and i got uh, angry about it and i yelled back something for, for example so we just think about situations like that. Normally what we would do is we just think about it, relive our anger, for example, and move on. Now what I would just advocate is if things like this bubble up as they invariably will for all of us, hold on to them, sit back, 
and think about them for a little while longer. Ask yourself, actually, why did I get so angry in that particular episode? Yes, my boss was yelling at me, but I know he's an emotional guy. He yells at me like every week. Normally, I don't get anxious about this. Why did I get so angry in that particular circumstance? And then perhaps that leads us to discover something. I'm making this up now. Oh, it's boss because he disrespected my input. Oh, that leads to an interesting insight, perhaps. I don't like it when people disrespect my input. But, but why is that? Etc. I'm cutting this short now. It, it's this sort of this sort of digging into experiences which we have. I, I, I think I, I brand this method experience mining yes. in, in my book just to give it a give it an angle. Yeah, that's a useful term actually. And and so so that's the sort of thing. But 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 you see, we always have to be mellow about these things. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying we need to sit back every day or every week and and do some navel gazing. I'm just saying when these method when these things bubble up naturally hold on to them think about them as you do this regularly is almost like a tapestry of insights will develop and it will coalesce into something which you will know about yourself mm. and the next step then is to act on it yeah in the book you give lots of specific examples that are personal to you just mm. wondering yeah. Did you keep a journal, or is this or, <laughs> through through your life? Are these just things you've kept locked away in your mind? Yeah. Because you, you go back, obviously, many years to very specific examples. I don't like an argument or falling out you had in the army. You didn't mention that you were in the army, but you. No, no, you, I didn't. I didn't do it here, but yeah, 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 yeah of course. But for yeah. example, there and other experiences you've had with teachers, and you yes. feel like you've been what's the word? Say dissed or yeah, you, you know, you've Absolutely. been put upon. So these all experiences that have just come bubbling to the surface as you're thinking about this. Yes, exactly. It, it, it's exa what I describe the um, the fact that I was able to write down these experiences is precisely that is the method which I was just talking about. Mm. These experiences have bubbled up over the years, and as they happened, uh, I, I remember thinking about them. Like when my teacher dissed me, I was thinking, "Well, bloody hell! I mean, who is he to do this?" And and then I sort of sat back and. And I probably discussed it with my parents as well. Um, always good to have another sounding board in your life if if you have a person you can trust. Mm. Um, and and I was thinking, well, why did I get so why did I get so emotional about this in that particular episode? And that delivered an insight to me. So it's because these episodes delivered these nuggets uh, of of self insight. I remembered them, and because I was talking about experience mining as a method i wrote them down but it's just it, for for people who who read the book the, these experiences they're just there as examples they're examples purely examples it's to not demonstrate the principle of the exactly. the concept of mining your experiences and then scoring them and, and labeling them and understanding how you re react and respond to them yeah and then you you, right. you gather up you know well am i am i inherently don't like authoritarian people, for example. For, for example, yeah. exactly. And and if if that's a lesson about you, non lesson is not the right word. An insight mm. 
in, into your personality which you draw, then the next step would be to um, uh, now now the word is lesson. <laughs> the, the the next step would be to actually learn the lesson which it teaches, and it might be actually if I don't if I have a innate dislike of authoritarian environments, then I should really not be, let's say, in the police force or in in the military or whatever, you know. It, it's a little insight. It doesn't deliver uh, anything more. No, but it's important. And then, of course, but the next important. thing is even once you've understood that, okay, I don't like people, you know, telling me what to do, for example. I've, I've got to work for myself. I can't work in a, in a corporate world where there's a hierarchy of leadership. I, I can't stand that environment, for example. The next thing is to understand what to do with that information. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, if, if I run with that little example which I gave, just to illustrate also the complexity of this, if you think, if the insight is, okay, I don't like authority, uh, I don't like hierarchical environments, one lesson might be, okay, let's not work in the police force. Well, okay, but that might be superficial in itself because you might also discover about yourself that you care for the community, that you wish to give something back that you wish to contribute to a safe community, a safe urban, in our case, mm. space in which people can uh, live their lives unencumbered by threats upon them. And if you feel that about yourself, maybe that offsets your dislike of an authoritarian, of a hierarchical environment. And then you say, actually, yeah, I don't like hierarchies, but I want to make sure that society or my community here, I want to contribute to it, maybe I can work in the police force. You see, these things make it so difficult. And that is why I think you need, is, you, people would benefit from perhaps a, a more structured analytical method, which allows you to have these insight, insights into your personality consciously, and then you can make a an informed decision. I yeah. think that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. It's interesting the way you say because this is a structured way of coming to a conscious decision or a conclusion or an understanding about who you are and what your needs are. And I'm just thinking actually of a real example of my son mm -hmm. who is a is a hairdresser and has been in hairdressing for a number of years and for, for many years or for several years he worked in hairdressing salons. Yeah. But he, he worked in many salons and he kept leaving them and leaving them and going to another one and another one and another one. And he just couldn't settle in any of them. And eventually he became, he went self-employed and he started working mm. for hairdressing apps, becoming a freelancer. Oh, so people cool. say, they go on the app, I want my hair blow dried today. And he's working for people all over London in the city. His time is his own. He can select the jobs he wants to do Perfect, and he goes yeah. out and about and he loves it. Mm -hmm. Now he's understood from that looking back that's a, a yeah. subconscious way yeah. Yeah. of saying, I don't like working in a fixed cell. I don't like waiting for people to come, you know, and, and, and book in. I can't stand the working environment in a managed environment. I like to get out and about and see people. I like to take holidays when I can. Yeah. So it's all understanding these things. Exactly. But it took him a long time to come to that understanding. Yeah. And you see, I'm probably sure he's going to be a better hairdresser. Yeah, he's well, he's certainly happier. Exactly. He's yeah. happier yeah. and he's going to deliver a better product to people. I think because so, yeah. he he is more engaged in it than he was before. And that's kind of how it works. You know, that's kind of the essence of what I'm talking about. It's, it's in discovering who you are, you develop into a confident person who will therefore, by extension, be able to be strong enough 
to contribute to whoever you want to mm. contribute. So mm. Society, your relationship, uh, if you're a parent, etc. I yeah. don't want to narrow this down too much, but, yeah. but that's basically it. That's no, interesting. Now, we, we haven't got time to go through every rule in the book. but you don't? Know, the, <laughs> we'll be here for a long, long time. Maybe we'll come back and do part two. But the second rule, once you've understood who you are, yeah. is to understand what you need. And that's oh, all about yes. wrapping yeah. things around you, whether it's the place of work that will suit your that's right. your need, your yeah. your physical surroundings, maybe your home, like you've found your beautiful place around the river with the wonderful views. Yeah, the Thames. yeah. But I, for me, the, the next most important thing, and to me this is a, a thing I tell tell my kids that I would tell everybody mm. is you, you've called it everything is your fault oh good one and yes. to me that's all about accepting things that in life don't go around blaming other people correct for what for what you've got in your life because Absolutely. every decision you've ever made is your decision mm. has led you to where you are today and accept responsibility yeah. for things that happened in your life exactly I mean that that's that's great Steve that you singled that one out I mean, uh, when, when I talk about this with other people, that, that's something which people get sort of exercised about mm. because they say, it's not my fault, is it? I mean, it's ridiculous yeah. to say it like that. But I said it deliberately like that. Of course, it is not your fault. But what I'm talking about here is mindset. Mm. It is a mindset which examines everything that happens as if it was something that you engendered, is what you say responsibility even if something happens which may not be your fault in inverted commas look at it as if it might have been the the reason that i say that is that such a mindset will put you in the driving seat it will empower you to change something if you're in a predicament if your boss fires you and you have a um your natural reaction is to say my boss is is a bastard, mm. then you're not going to develop from that. You will blame circumstances for something that happens to you. You render yourself the powerless victim in that thought process. And by definition, you are therefore not in a position to change that. If you realize that your boss might have fired you because of something you did, then you are in the driving seat. Even if you realize that it isn't your fault, you might then sort of twist that into saying, okay, that one, that the, the, the actual um, thing he fired me for may not have been my fault, but of course I created the framework, uh, the, the wider framework for this, and eventually everything comes back to me. Mm -hmm. So I, I see that as an empowering, in an empowering state. Don't be the victim be be the agent i mean that that's yeah. and, and i know this is by the way very difficult as well i mean all of these things are difficult i fail in doing this every time i talk about it but i know that if i could always employ this trick then i would probably be more in charge of my life than i might be from time to time yeah and it's very empowering to take take responsibility for things that happen in your life so as yeah. you say you're taking away that victim mentality woe is me you know everyone's right. putting yeah. upon me because that's a very negative heavy mm. thing to carry around with you yeah but by accepting things a as they are without the passing the blame and also that you are responsible for things that happen to you lifts you up away from that sort of negative mindset correct yeah yeah exactly and it's it's almost 
it's almost something spiritual about that I find because it generates I don't I don't even know how to explain yeah. it. It, it it generates a feeling <laughs> of almost self-worth and self-belief that you are very, in control of good. your life it's yeah. not other people controlling ah, you that's it quite exactly I mean the um probably the um the negative extreme or the extreme negative case of that particular sentiment of, of blaming others would be resentment. Yeah. And, and, and resentment is poison. Is, somebody said once, resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. I mm. uh, just love that particular phrase yeah. because it is. Now, again, you see, <laughs> all this is so difficult to sort out because these emotions are human. These are just human emotions. Everybody has them. So, so we need to consciously try to act against them. And, and then what happens is in those instances where we are able to do so, I would agree, this, this feeling of being in control happens. And, 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 and yeah, that, that's a very important thing. Yeah. And it's how we respond to certain things as well. One of my favorite books when I first started reading, if you like, self-help books, was uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by, mm -hmm. by Stephen Covey, yeah. which for me is one of the, the seminal books of, of the genre. And he, I don't think he came up with the theory, I'm sure it's been, it's been relayed many times before, between the moment something happens, the action, and your emotional response, there is a period of time, yeah. there, is a, there is a gap in between where you can decide what response you're going to give. Okay. So for example, yep. he gives the example, I think something along the lines of you're driving along and someone goes into the back of you. Now you can get yes. out of the car Very good. and you can scream and shout and that can be your response to what's gone on. Or you can say, ah, it's, you know, it's a, it's a bumper, it's no big deal. You know, it's not the end of the world, nobody's hurt. Those, those. So you can actually choose your response. So you're not blaming the other person, yeah. you're, you're accepting what's happened. Yeah. You're taking responsibility not for what's happened, but for your response to what's happened. Yeah, no, the, uh, okay, the, that's interesting. The, the way I would think about situations like this is if, if somebody drives into the back of your car and your instant response is to go ballistic, mm. stop yourself and ask why. Why am I so incensed about this? It is only a bumper. And by the way, it needs to blame or she. So my insurance or his or her will, 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 will pay for this. So why? This is the experience mining, because it might lead to something. You might find that there is a deeper frustration which you have in life, and that this is psychological transference. What you said is important, because you want to act responsibly towards others. So if you pause, and then you are able to engage in a more constructive, mature way, that's the right thing to be. But also, I would then say, don't leave it at that. Remember that your first impulse was to act emotionally and perhaps even in a belligerent way. If that was your impulse, try to understand why. That's going to deliver potentially an insight which you can use. Mm. So there's a couple of sort of mini skills you can use, can't you, in that space between the thing happening totally. and your response to that happening. Totally, and I do fail. Uh, that's sort of what I discover about myself we at some point in my book i talk about things like it, it's always easy to accept the good things which you might discover about yourself it's not so easy to accept yeah, sure. the weak things and and that is a weakness in my personality which i have discovered over the years that i react more emotionally perhaps to things to to minor infractions 
then then it is justified to to do so and and i was wondering also why that was and and, and i think that also led to my decision to to leave the city not that the city is a place which would have engendered that it's just that i was i allowed i had allowed myself to be too long in in the job which towards the end didn't deliver the purpose to me that it did at the start so again going back to your purpose you you, you think that will help you become less intolerant of things going around you because you're living a more purposeful life well i, I, I wouldn't say that that's perhaps too 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 big a mm. framework I, I would just say that the continued existence within a job which didn't deliver the joy to me anymore that it used to led to frustrations in my life that vented in in little things like that and i can already say that after making the decision to leave and actually leaving i'm more in control of these things but that I, I, actually that's not true it's, it's not that i'm in control the frustrations these little frustrations have disappeared mm. and and that's because that, we're not in control of so many things in our life no are we? of course we're not we can't control no um, you know another concept is you should perhaps only worry about the things that are within your control not worry about things outside of your sphere of influence oh well, that's a really good thing i mean i wish i had come up with that myself yeah. this is uh, i think that's known as the serenity prayer uh-huh. it's uh, it, it goes something like worry about the things you can control don't worry about the things you can't and be wise enough to know what the difference yeah. is and and that is of course true because i mean certain things we just can't control like currently there are lots of yeah well (laughs) brexit for example absolutely i mean completely independently of what you think pro or um, whether you think it's a good idea or a bad idea everybody will agree that unless you are a politician who's driving it or who's opposing it you can't control the outcome and it is therefore not productive to worry about the outcome so let's leave that aside and deal with the results of Brexit, which are different for for everybody. Mm. Yeah, so that, that's I, I I think that that's a very good example, of course, you know. Yeah. And and I was uh, I failed on that one as well. I was just uh, I, I lost my mind about Brexit because it, it it delivered something which I which I thought will be very clearly to the detriment of the economy of this country and and its society by extension my own interpretation not making this uh, as a general comment now but then i discovered well i can't actually change anything so let's stop worry about it yeah don't worry about it and enjoy the ride because we're living through incredibly incredible political times and it, it, indeed just to of watch course. the debate itself is is fascinating fascinating is one word yeah <laughs> well it, it, yeah well whether you're, no, no, you're, right. you're, right. no, you're a remainder or a brexiteer you know it, it is interesting to see what the, the times we're going through certainly. and we'll look back on these times probably with interest when all the books are, are written about it of course certainly, but, um, certainly. This, this week's also going to be a very interesting week in parliament of course it is and 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 this all of course touches on the subject of the book yeah. because we live our lives it, it's a multi-layered context you know and 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 of course the wider environment of politics uh, is 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 something which we all have to come to grips with as Mm. well Uh, but but the way to do that one is presumably to say okay i can't change the wider brush strokes of the dynamics so i will deal with those that i can control and we basically cross the bridge when we come to it sometimes you 
need to go no further than uh, just uh, idioms uh, which, which we which we all know. Yeah, it's fascinating because I, I was watching a report on the news, I think it was yesterday, a, a news reporter was going out and about asking people, I think it was in a market, I don't, I don't know which town it was in, you know, what their views are and how it's affecting them. And this woman who, who was running a market stall, I don't, it wasn't in London, it was out of London, she, and he was saying, what are you going to do about Brexit and how's it going to affect you? She, said, she was just saying, a very stoic view of life. She was saying, well, there's nothing I can do about it, is there? She said, what, what will be, will be, I'll just get on with it. He goes, yeah, but what about, there's going to be a shortage of this and a shortage of that, and how it's going to affect your products that you sell. She said, well, we'll just have to adapt, won't we? We'll just get on and, and we'll we'll deal with it as and when. So her, the way she responded to things outside of her influence yeah. was fantastic. She wasn't letting her exactly. get, get I, her, I, her anxiety. I think that's the way to, that makes it psychologically manageable mm. it's of course uh, I'm, I'm not advocating being indifferent to things you know as we were giving the vote maybe it would have been a good thing to think about the consequences mm. of that vote but that was then and now there is no direct way we're using, to we, we're using to brexit not as a political discussion just as an example of things oh indeed absolutely i mean this is uh talking about when you have the means to to affect something yeah. at that point you need to think about it sure and when you don't then there's no point of doing so but uh but yeah that that g- goes away from uh, these these are things which are important but is the wider framework we we can we can and have to i, I believe make the decisions in our life which lead to a life in which we can be ourselves, and that's that's what I keep come com- coming back to, and 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 the basis for that is self knowledge, and then you can take it from there, and everything else will will follow. Yeah, that is my. If I have any philosophical uh, point to make, that will be the one. Now you know we, we, this is we're going on. There's a long conversation. No, well, of course, uh, <laughs> and there's loads more we could talk about. I just wanted to touch on on one other of your what yeah. you call rule six: seek advice. Oh, now yeah, to, oh, now that's to me, we were, we were speaking about this off mic before when we were talking about how I came about doing the podcast and yeah. the advice I sought and the mentorship I sought from uh, my good friend Mark Asquith, yes. who helped me get this up and running. And But seeking advice is so important, particularly mm. when we're, yeah. we're getting trying to understand ourselves because getting feedback from other people is yes, also important. Absolutely. So how does that work in in your rules? Uh, yeah, this is also not so easy because I mean ba- ba- basically what I'm saying what I'm saying basically is that you need to know yourself. Mm. And then you need to develop the courage of conviction that what you discover about yourself is in fact valid. So that we've discussed before. You know, now you might say and this is all very interesting, but how do you do that? Do you need to do you not need to listen to other people as well? And is there a contradiction there? Because what I'm saying is, well, if I'm a city dweller, don't allow yourself to be advised that you might benefit from living in the countryside and then you make the wrong choice. Mm. Now, this is where this is the context in which taking advice lives. I mean, we're not on our own. We we, we are social people and that is beautiful and, and we need to celebrate this. Everybody needs friends and people they can trust to give them advice. But in the end, acting on or against advice is still your own responsibility. And you still need to know yourself well enough to know that following or rejecting advice you're getting is the right thing to do. 
Now, in, in, in here, it gets difficult because you need self-knowledge in order to understand why other people might give you the advice they do. It might be well-meaning. Your parents might give you advice not to join the army because they are afraid for your well-being, etc. But if that's the right thing for you to do, then you must do it against that advice. And this is where it all gets... Um, yeah, this is where it gets a little bit difficult. I think I think we need to sort of see that we have somebody in our lives who we can trust to give us the right advice. Sure. And and that is another chapter in the book how how to find your yeah, how to, to right find people. your partner yeah. and and listen to the right people. So to some extent it's it's always iterative. It's always touch and go and 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 you know oh that person gives me advice uh, that can't be right and they only say that because uh, of their particular background but um yeah all i can say is you need to feel your way through it you need to be skeptical of the advice not just listen to it and take it as read uh, you need to check it against what you know about your own personality and then you go with it or you reject it if you find that wasn't the right thing to do, you have to correct it later. But you sort of constantly have to watch where you where you stand at every point in your life and apply and apply this experience mining technique. Well, it's it's a fantastic book. Um, <laughs> there's you. so much That's more so we could dig into um, here. But as I said, we'd we'd be here for hours, may, maybe days, discussing it because some of the concepts in the book are well known. But the way mm, you go about absolutely. delivering them and getting people the tools and strategies you get for people to analyze their own, you know, what, what they need to understand how they can achieve happiness or understand where they are in their life yeah. are, I think, I don't know if they're unique, but I've certainly never come across them before. These are, these thanks, are techniques that you have, you've created yourself, aren't they? For, for myself, yeah. I mean, I, one thing I would say perhaps is that this is not an easy book to read. Mm. I think it is, hope, hopefully, I don't know, you guys are the judge of that. I, I hope it's a readable. Certainly the, is. The uh, anecdotes are hopefully funny. You can laugh with me or you can laugh at me, which is probably even, even funnier. But um, but in the end, what I'm trying to offer here is a is a sounding board. And I'm not trying to suggest that finding the authentic life is somehow easy or simple just because it is something that everybody wants to have. You see, the analogy which I sometimes give is, if you read a book about vector analysis or complex analysis in maths, now nobody would expect the messages of that book to just fly out at you. So you don't start the book of 100 pages, let's say, and say, oh good, all I have to do is I'll read these 100 pages, I'm going to take me three days, and I'll know about complex analysis. No, you won't. You have to actually think about it. Then you have to do the exercises, and you have to get back to it and think about it again. Nothing worth having comes easily. And so that's the analogy, I think, here as well. The authentic life, as we discussed, is a difficult thing to develop. It is complex, it changes, it is multi-layered and it's got various facets. All of them you have to sort of think through and try to manipulate into this zone uh, which, which will allow you to be yourself. And so from that point of view, I think it is not a quick read. It's, it's sort of something you, if you feel so inclined, are able to engage with. 
if you are, then I would have done my job well, because that is the sounding board which I'd like to offer to people. So it's almost like I mean, if you if you if you wish a quick fix or easy messages or easy uh, exercises yeah. to do every day, write down ten things you are grateful for before you have coffee in the morning. You won't find them in there. You shouldn't want them because they're not going to de deliver anything to you. And one, one, one reader very kindly said that reading this book is like talking to a friend. Now, I don't know. That's one reader said that. If others were to say that as well, that would be the biggest compliment. That's what I want to achieve. And, and that's what the book is supposed yeah. to be. Well, as I said, I, I haven't read it cover to cover. Purely, that, that's uh, outrageous. Uh, no, I, I normally would have done, but <laughs> the uh, short, short, shortage of time between getting in touch with you and then getting getting my hands on the book, I've read a, no, I've course. read large chunks of it, and it, it is readable. It's not your normal, you know, from W. H. Smith's self help book that you can just read no. cover to cover. It, it is a detailed, analytical book with lots of real life examples that yeah, you have put in yeah. there from yourself and from your life experience. It, it, it's a really interesting read. It's, it's fascinating. And as you say, if someone seriously wants to understand how they can go about understanding where they are in this life in terms of happiness or otherwise, and how they can take their lives to the next level, yeah, it, this, this is a book for them. I, I hope so. I hope so. And yeah. it, it, it might be. If it talks to you, then it yeah. might be. And um, so it's called Happiness Rules. It's mm -hmm. by Mark Hebwood. It's a self-published book, although it certainly doesn't look self-published. It looks highly professional, both in the um the binding the typeset the uh the graphics on the front it, it's it's a really good looking book thank you so um it's very nice and i recommend everybody to get it so before we go how can yeah. people a get hold of the book how can they get hold of you how can they find out more about you connect with you on social media and so on and so forth yeah absolutely i mean the book is available in 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 um in paper format and ebook on amazon and on uh, ibooks apple uh, they can connect, you can, guys can connect with me uh, through my website, which is www.markhebwood.com. Uh, I'm always able, available to chat. I'm on social media on Twitter and on Instagram. And I even have a evening of chat coming up, but that would be in Switzerland, in, in Zurich. Well, plenty of people from London, you're just next to the airport here, City, <laughs> City Airport, might fly out to sea, because I think they fly direct from here to Zurich. Yeah, so uh, sure. w w tell us a bit about that. Where, well, that's that? on the on the 10th of October in, in, in Zurich. It's uh, it's an evening of chat uh, with, a, with a friend of mine who organizes these things uh, down there in, in, in Switzerland, in, in Zurich specifically. It's you, you go after work, I do a bit of chat, and then we have Q&A, pretty much like, yeah, like yeah. we do here. Fantastic. And it's about the book, it's about how to get to the authentic life. And oh, wonderful. That's what it is. Yeah. So I don't know if you recall, we're at this stage of the conversation where I was going to ask you, you've got this look of horror on your face, <laughs> where we ask all our guests, <laughs> it's not that scary, choose your response, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I'm legging it, I'm gone. <laughs> Where we ask all our guests if they can recommend <laughs> one or two places in, in London that are particularly of interest to them from a personal point of view. It could be a walk, a museum, a restaurant, a bar, something that is... I mean, yeah. it, it could just be this fantastic view we're, we're looking at right now. What, oh, well, yes, it, it would be. I mean, I, I, I think I was joking with you before. I mean, we, we need another hour for that. I, I truly love London. I mean, let, let me just briefly cut to two places, yeah, which, 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 which carry some... Uh, 
where, where I have some personal um, um, history. The, the first one is the British Library, would you believe it? Um, now, that is where I researched the story for my first novel. You know, I mean, this is nothing is going to come out anytime soon, but that's where where I researched this. I found it a place of tranquility, of learning, and that's interesting. But what I would recommend to all you guys, if if you want to go there, is just go there because it is a very interesting place of architecture. It is a place where one of the only places in London, I think, where you can sit down with a coffee and a, and a cake and do so next to historical books of, 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 of renown. Because when they built the British Library, in whenever that was, purpose-built in 1998 or whatever it was, what they did is they transferred the uh, what is known as the King's Library uh, to that new place. And they encased the King's Library in a central six-floor tower of glass and steel, and the, the the calf is just next to it. So you literally are sitting next to the books which used to be housed by the King's Library in the British uh, Museum, and they're 50 centimeters away. I mean, they're behind glass. You can't touch them, mm. but it looks as if you yeah. can. And that's just beautiful. Yeah, and if I, I think I'm correct in saying one of my very first guests on the show, an author called Rose Sandy, right? Um, who's also a publisher for HarperCollins. So you may want to, I might, may do a connection yeah. here. She, Hello. <laughs> she, actually she actually did quite a lot of research also at the British Library, and I think she had yeah. access to some of the more ancient volumes, shall we say, and yes. was allowed access to that to do some of her research. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you, you, you can have access to these. I believe you need a particular uh, authorization yes. letter from an academic yeah. uh, in order to get to the uh, manuscript. Yes. Um, uh, to, to, to to actual proper manuscripts, uh-huh. as in written by hand. Yeah. But it's a be- beautiful building, it's a, it's and obviously beautiful. the contents beautiful. are just magnificent. So that's the British Library. Yeah, that's yeah. the British Library. Second one is 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 a little known. I mean, I don't know whether it's little. I, I didn't know. I, I I didn't know it, but perhaps everybody else does. It's what I would say is a hidden gem. I love going to. It's off Bloomsbury Square. It's a uh, it's a chef's teaching school called Cordon Bleu, and it's all over the world. It's a French institution. There's a London school. And you can sit, go to the cafeteria of this place where the teaching chefs um, prepare the sandwiches and the cakes, etc. So you can have a very nice lunch, and you can sit outside. In summer, that's really nice because you sit outside this, this... effectively small courtyard, which is an inner space created by the linings of the buildings around it. One of these buildings is the Cordon Bleu. Uh, Another one is a historic pub. Right next to it is one of the oldest independent bookshops in London. Mm -hmm. You sit in this sun-drenched, well, (laughs) if it is sun-drenched, in summer uh, space. You have the lunch uh, prepared by the chefs of Cordon Bleu. You look around and after you're done with the lunch, I choose to go to the bookshop. Others might choose to go to the pub. Uh, Sounds idyllic. It's it's a lovely place. It sounds wonderful. I note that food is a theme between the two of them. Cake in one and (laughs) and Cordon Bleu cuisine in the other. That's right. Sounds fantastic. Well, they're two two fantastic choices and I'm sure um, our listeners can can check them both out. Thanks for that. 
Well, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thank you ever so much. Thank you very much. Uh, it's, a, it's a great book. You're a fascinating chap. Thank you. Uh, that's lovely. Uh, a happy, chap, happy chap as well, <laughs> I, I'm pleased to say. So uh, thank you very much. And I highly recommend this book to everyone. Once again, it's Happiness Rules by Mark Hebwood. You find it on Amazon, which is where I grab my copy from. So thanks, Mark. And uh, keep up the good work. Thanks, Steve, for having me. Thank uh, you very it's much. A pleasure. It's been great fun talking to it's you. It's a pleasure. Every week here at Your London Legacy, we bring straight to your device a new and fascinating guest with a wonderful London-based story. We hope you enjoy listening to their timeless stories as much as we enjoy creating them for you. If so, the best way to show your appreciation is to subscribe to the show. Simply go to www.yourlondonlegacy.com and pop your name and email in the box where shown. That way, you'll never miss another episode. Thank you for your support.